Today on the Matt Wall Show, leftist elites have a message for average people suffering under these economic conditions. Uh, shut up and stop complaining. That is actually the message verbatim. Also, the Supreme Court strikes down New York's unconstitutional gun control law. Biden unveils his brilliant plan for driving gas prices down. 60 Minutes claims that a 6-foot-2-inch, 230-pound male rugby player has no physical advantages over the females he wants to compete against. Canada bans plastic straws, but where does all of the plastic pollution in the ocean actually come from? Hint, it's not coming from Canada or the United States for that matter. In our daily cancellation, the TSA heroically saves lives by confiscating bottles of water and tubes of sunscreen and then brags about it on Twitter. We'll talk about all that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. Well, life is already complicated. What if getting term life insurance to protect your family could be easy, though? Fabric has moved life insurance all online, so getting a policy that's right for your family is not complicated at all. Fabric was built specifically for parents to help you manage your family's financial future like a parenting pro stress-free. Fabric's new lower uh, prices mean significant savings over other providers with great policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Everything is on your schedule with Fabric because it's all online. Less than 10 minutes to apply and you can be offered coverage instantly with no health exam required. Then just personalize your quote to fit your family's needs. It's as simple as that. With Fabric's online hub, it's easy to track your family finances all in one place. Get affordable life insurance, set up your kid's college savings plan, and even establish a rainy day savings fund at the same time. Planning for the future has never been easier than this. There's no risk to apply today. Fabric has a 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can cancel at any time. Protect your family with term life insurance now in just 10 minutes. Apply today at meetfabric.com Walsh. That's meetfabric.com Walsh to start protecting your family today. M-E-E-T, fabric.com Walsh. Fabric insurance agency policies issued by Vantis Life, not available in New York and Montana. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. If we could say that anything good has come from the uh, cavalcade of economic catastrophes that we now face, thanks to the Biden regime, it's maybe the clarity that the situation has offered. The clarity is uh, not exactly worth the price we're paying for it, but you have to look for silver linings anywhere you can find them these days. And this has certainly been a clarifying moment. As regular people suffer from high gas prices, inflation, other severe financial strains, the Democrat Party, what used to be seen as and still bills itself as the party of the working man, has thoroughly demonstrated its total disdain for working class people. And I mean disdain in, in a dictionary definition sense of the term. To have disdain for someone is, is to feel that the person is unworthy of consideration. You may not be directly trying to hurt them, or maybe you are, but the general attitude is that the person's suffering is just irrelevant to you. And that's been the Biden administration's approach. Uh, you've heard over and over again over the past um, few weeks and months from various officials that the record high gas prices are actually a, a wonderful opportunity to switch over to electric vehicles and other green transportation options. The pain you're feeling is worth it in the long run as it may help their cultural agenda, help advance it, they say. We heard a similar message in the summer of 2020 when communities across America were in flames, devastated, terrorized by BLM rioting. And that was all okay, said the Democrat elites from behind the walls of their gated communities. Because if your business has been looted or your home burned to the ground, it's all for the sake of social justice, you see. So, so take heart. On gas prices, we're told that the pain is worth it, um, not just for the sake of, of healing Mother Earth, but also for Ukraine. So Biden yesterday took issue with Republicans who criticized him over gas prices. Isn't it worth a few extra bucks in the tank in order to help Ukraine, he asks? So for all those Republicans in Congress criticizing me today, for high gas prices in America. Are you now saying we were wrong to support Ukraine? Are you saying we were wrong to stand up to Putin? Are you saying that we would rather have lower gas prices in America and Putin's iron fist in Europe? I don't believe that. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's, that's what we're saying. Now, this is a false choice, of course. The gas prices are not Putin's fault, but putting that aside, Biden asks if we'd rather have lower gas prices instead of helping Ukraine. And the answer that I give and that most normal Americans give is yes, absolutely. I would leave Ukraine to defend itself and take the discount at the pump. Absolutely. In fact, I'd leave Ukraine to defend itself even if there was no discount at the pump. But give me the discount and you've just sweetened the deal. I don't have to think about it. Is that selfishness? No, it's called um, patriotism. Because I prioritize American families over Ukrainian families. And gas prices are not some small, petty concern. The average price of gas right now 
is almost $5 a gallon. This is devastating to working class people. But the alleged party of the working class is so far removed from the working class that it can't even conceive of why gas prices are a major concern for people who don't have the benefit of taking a chauffeur service everywhere uh, they go. I mean, Joe Biden hasn't paid for a tank, tank of gas since, uh, since like ever, since cars were invented. So he doesn't understand why it matters so much. He, he actually thinks that working class people are happy to have less money to feed their children if it means that they can stick it to, to Putin. And it's all for the best anyway, Biden thinks, because um, as he also said yesterday, the ultimate goal is to take cars off of the roads entirely. We're investing almost $100 billion in public transit and rail. For all the studies show that it will take millions of cars off the road and significantly reduce pollution if there's a serious transportation system available. Yeah, get the cars off the road, uh, reduce pollution. Why alleviate suffering when it presents such a wonderful opportunity? And, and besides, the suffering really isn't that bad anyway. I mean, everybody's just exaggerating. That was the message from Michelle Singletary at the Washington Post when she appeared on MSNBC yesterday and launched into what just might be the most out-of-touch and tone-deaf diatribe we've ever heard on cable news. And that's quite a statement, I realize. The competition is stiff. But I think this is at least in the running for that title. Listen for yourself. There's a new poll out by Politico Morning Consult that I think is quite revealing. It shows 38% of Americans say they would rather see a recession than their, the inflation that we're dealing with. I mean, I read that to mean more than a third of Americans are so pressed by what they're having to pay for gas, for food, everyday items, rent, that they'd rather see a recession. Is that where we are right now? You know, I'm just going to say this, and 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 if I get banged for it, I don't care. There are there is a great deal of Americans where it is uncomfortable that they're spending more, but they are not going to go under. You know, you you got to stop complaining when there's so many people who literally the inflation rate means they may only have two meals instead of three. There are Americans who did extremely well in the last two years in the market. You still have your job. And yeah, it's costing you more for gas, but guess what? You're still going to take that holiday, that 4th of July vacation. You could still eat out. So I'm going to need you to calm down and back off because it feeds into this fear. And then this fear feeds into people making decisions that creates the very thing that they are fearful of. And if you're in that category, calm down, stop looking at your portfolio. And you know what you can do with all that energy? Help other people, help put some food on the table, somebody else's house, because you have extra. Now, the other half of America, Anything that we can do to help them to get to the job that they need to keep to put that food on their table. Those are the folks that we need to concentrate on. And if they are responding to this survey saying that they're afraid, I get that. But overall, many Americans are not suffering as much as they think they are. Mm. Amazing. And why do they always have such annoying voices is the question. So calm down, back off. You're not suffering as much as you think you are. She says, now make no mistake, she's not directing this message at millionaires. She says that half of the country is still doing well. This is half of the country. Overall, overall, we're fine, she claims. Quit your belly aching. Now, tough talk like this is pretty rare from the left. You're not suffering as much as you think you are. When's the last time you've ever heard anyone on the left say something like that? And there are many contexts when it should be said, and it certainly will not be said. It's quite instructive to see just when they start speaking this way and who they are speaking to when they do. This is the clarity the moment offers us. Leftist elites are saying out loud on camera the kinds of things they usually only mutter under their breath or say to each other when nobody else is around. So what drives this? I mean, what drives this, uh, what is really just a disregard for human suffering? Um, as much as these people talk about lived experience, why don't they seem to actually care much about other people's lived experience, so-called. Of course, it has a lot to do with the fact that these people live in a bubble, they're insulated, they're walled off from the average people whose lives they seek to control and govern and manipulate. Um, that's a part of it. That's not the whole story. The other part of the story is that the rules of intersectionality demand that they siphon out their compassion based on race, gender, sexual orientation, 
and so on. Um, they can care or pretend to care about certain protected classes of people and certain favored groups, but they have to be careful not to accidentally express any concern for the unfavored classes, particularly straight white men. I mean, they wouldn't want anyone to get caught in the faux compassion crossfire. And then the other thing to keep in mind is that, and this is maybe the most important aspect, is that the left has no concept of inherent human dignity. Um, any true compassion or concern for your fellow man must spring from your recognition of and belief in your fellow man's human worth and dignity. But there is no shared human dignity on the left. Our worth is subjective, conditional, highly mutable, subject to change. So all that's left then is to virtue signal, to put on a show of compassion. But when the circumstances really call for it, when the chips are down, they uh, turn their back and tell us to stop whining and to simply suffer for the greater good, which is to say their own good, of course. Now let's get to our five headlines. You know, the recent rise in property value has also created bigger targets for home title fraud. With this type of identity theft, a fraudster files for a title transfer to a bogus ID, then they sell the victim's property, refinance it, or take out a loan against the property. When these uh, second mortgages or loans are left unpaid, the thieves are nowhere to be found, of course. And this is why it's so important to understand how cybercrime and identity theft are affecting our lives. Your personal information gets exposed so often, making it dangerously easy for a cyber criminal to steal your identity. Protect your identity then with LifeLock by Norton. It's never been easier to do. LifeLock detects and alerts you to potential identity threats that you may not have uh, be able to spot on your own, like loans taken out in your name. If you do become a victim of identity theft, a dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Look, nobody can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but it's easy to help protect yourself with LifeLock. Identity theft protection starts here. Join now and save up to 25% off your first year at LifeLock.com Walsh. That's LifeLock.com Walsh for 25% off. Okay, we start uh, with this. Democrats, Democrats and Republicans, of course, waging their assault on the Second Amendment with their quote-unquote bipartisan gun control legislation that they've agreed to. Uh, but the Supreme Court, at least, thanks to the conservative majority, is uh, standing in the gap. Um, and we await now for these uh, red flag laws to make their way up to the Supreme Court so that, you know, Clarence Thomas and company can have their say, say in it. But for now, we have this decision from the Supreme Court. Uh, we're still waiting on um, we're still waiting on the Roe v. Wade decision. So that was not announced today. I think it has to be tomorrow. They uh, Usually they make the announcements. They announce their decisions on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, or rather Tuesdays and Thursdays, and they added an extra day on Friday. And so I think the assumption probably is that um, since they've announced their decisions in most of the cases that they heard for this, um, uh, this time around, uh, the assumption is that they're going to announce it tomorrow and then skip out of town. But anyway, this was... This was um, uh, this was a case that people were waiting for. Um, not quite as much as Roe v. Wade, but still a really important case. And here is uh, from NPR. They have the report. It says, the, U the U.S. Supreme Court, in a 6-3 opinion, ruled that New York's restrictions on the concealed carry of firearms in public violates the Second Amendment. The opinion written by Justice Clarence Thomas invalidates the state's requirement for people to show proper cause to get public carry licenses. Writing for the conservative majority, Justice Thomas said... Quote, the exercise of other constitutional rights does not require individuals to demonstrate to government officers some special need. The Second Amendment right to carry arms in public for self-defense is no different. New York's proper cause requirement violates the 14th Amendment by preventing law-abiding citizens with ordinary self-defense needs from exercising their right to keep and bear arms in uh, public. Meanwhile, writing for the court's three liberals, Justice Stephen Breyer wrote, quote, in applying that approach to New York's law, the court fails to correctly identify and analyze the relevant historical facts only by ignoring an abundance of historical evidence supporting regulations restricting the public carriage of uh, firearms. Can the court conclude that New York's law is not consistent with the nation's historical tradition of firearm regulation? And of course, what they're always worried about is, well, the historical, at least in this case, they're worried about the quote-unquote historical tradition. And when they say historical, they mean over the past few years. Um, what they're not so worried about is the actual Constitution itself. So this is obviously the right decision. They're striking down this law in, in uh, New York, which was not only unconstitutional, but absurdly unconstitutional. That in order to exercise one of your fundamental basic rights as an American, 
which our founding fathers found to be so important that they put it at number two on the list, right behind the freedom of expression, freedom of religion, freedom of speech. Uh, but in order to do that, you have to, you have to uh, go to a government official and demonstrate to their satisfaction that you need to exercise it. Um, and if you can't demonstrate it, then they allow you to have the gun, but uh, you got to keep it at your house. Where it is very often useless, because especially if you live in New York, if you live in the city, uh, many of the dangers that you're going to experience to your personal safety, uh, that, that's, you're going to experience those dangers out when you're walking around. Now, they, they might happen at home too, but more than likely they're going to be out in public. So this gave, this is great for the government, of course. It gives, it puts them in the position of deciding who is worthy of that kind of protection because that's really what this comes down to, right? All people are equal, but some people are more equal than others, as George Orwell wrote in the Animal Farm. So you have to demonstrate to the government that not only are you, do you fear for your life and do you have, a, to their satisfaction, a good reason to fear for your life, but that your life is worth this kind of extra protection. That was the law anyway, but that law has gone away. Uh, for now, we can say. All right, let's move to this. For this, this is kind of a set of headlines we got here on the, the five headlines. And we're going to have various examples of the government being just totally useless because that's always fun. And of course, we have to start with Biden. And we go back to this gas prices issue. And he had a lot to say about gas prices yesterday. All of it quite stupid. And, um, you know, maybe I wasn't entirely fair. You know, I said he doesn't, he doesn't care about bringing down the prices. To them, this is an opportunity, really. They're actually, they're actually happy that the prices are so high because it's an opportunity to get the cars off the road. But um, that's mostly true. But he does have, he had one idea, at least, for how to bring the gas prices down. He made an attempt yesterday. And here it was. So let's be honest with one another. My message is simple to the companies running gas stations and setting those prices at the pump. This is a time of war, global peril, Ukraine. These are not normal times. Bring down the price you are charging at the pump to reflect the cost you are paying for the product. Do it now. Do it today. Problem solved. I wish someone had thought of that. Just go, just tell the gas stations to put the, take the price down. That's all. There's a, 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 there's a problem of gas being expensive. Then just say to the gas stations, hey, make it not as expensive. And then, and then they'll go, oh, okay. Well, all right. Oh, you guys don't like what the high, the high prices? You don't like that? No, we don't. Oh, well, we didn't realize. Okay. We'll just put, put, put that. What, what price do you guys want for the, is it 250? Is that good? $2? $0.50? What do you want? He's, he's calling on gas stations to go bankrupt. First of all, it's what he's actually calling on them to do. Um, by just saying, yeah, just bring the prices down, guys. Maybe I'll have a similar strategy during wildfire season. Come on, fires, just stop burning, okay? This is a this is a this is a difficult time in America. Stop burning. You don't need to burn. But at least Biden's analysis was better than what we got from somebody else on MSNBC, who, uh, for reasons that are quite unclear to me broke out into song while talking. I mean, they, these, these people are losing their minds. That's it. They just don't know how to respond. We, we've, we've got a Democrat regime. Everything's falling apart. People's lives are much worse now under Biden than they were under Trump. There's no denying it. And these people are just scrambling. They don't know how to respond. And this one guy at MSNBC has gone so insane that he just started breaking out into song in the middle of his, of his analysis of the situation. Listen, these are crazy times we're living in, to put it mildly, Robin. Um, but but can you just get it straight for me? Who's to blame for the cost of, of oil being so high right now? Is it because of President Biden's policies or are there other effects going on? Did you see this back and forth between Biden and the CEO of Chevron and kind of his emotions? And he's so touchy-feely. And I could see if the oil execs had kind of more chill to them, they'd be like, quit playing games with my heart, with my heart. I mean, it's hard. Yeah, apparently. Apparently, it's very hard out there. Uh, I what? I'm not exactly sure what he was going for there, but uh, I, I think it's it's... 
mainly just as I said that they're they're scrambling. They don't they don't know what to say and what to do. Um, and it's that's always going to be the case when you've got a Democrat administration that's failing this miserably, this utterly. But even more so when you consider that he's taking the place of Donald Trump. I mean, Donald Trump was literally Hitler, right? Remember, and he's the worst president we've ever had, according to them. And uh, he just he was he's made our lives so so terrible. But the the left they had to spend a lot of time during Trump's administration, um, especially pre-COVID, right? Trying to convince us that our lives were being made worse by Trump himself, and even during COVID. Actually, they had, to conv- they had to convince us that Trump himself was caught, was, was making our lives worse. Because it wasn't really obvious to anybody. And we're living our lives. We don't really see the connection. But with Trump, there, with uh, Biden, rather, there's a very clear connection. He got into office and things went to, to hell. It's pretty clear. And it's, that has happened in ways that affect people every single day. And they don't know what to do, so they're just... Singing, I guess that's that's the way to go. Here's some more government uselessness. This is from a report from the Daily Wire. It says, President Biden's administration will impose restrictions on the amount of nicotine in cigarettes and tobacco products. The Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs, a division within the Office of Management and Budget, issued a statement on Tuesday regarding the proposal, saying this proposed rule is a tobacco product standard that would establish a maximum nicotine level in cigarettes and certain finished tobacco products uh, because tobacco-related harms primarily result from addiction to products that repeatedly expose users to toxins. FDA would take this action to reduce the addictiveness to certain tobacco products, thus giving addicted users a greater ability to quit. Um, And it's kind of interesting to see them doing this. You know, they're going after not just cigarettes, um, continuing this war on cigarettes, which, you know, meanwhile, cigarette, the rate of of smoking of cigarettes has, has declined dramatically over the years, which is good. And at this point, if you're still choosing to smoke, I mean, every, no one, everyone knows what you're getting into. When you pick up a cigarette, everybody knows. They've got it. It's, it's, uh, we all, as kids, we sat through all the, the PSAs and everything, all the warnings about cigarettes, and they've got the big messages right on the, the carton. This will kill you. You will die. And um, so people know what they're getting into, I think, at this point. Uh, but also, while they've, they're launching this continued campaign against cigarettes, um, and then they throw in, uh, you know, e-cigarettes and vaping and, and those sorts of things. Meanwhile, in a lot of American cities now, you know, they're setting up stations for you to go and um, shoot up heroin. So, you know, the hard drugs, people are using those at record rates. And um, even even marijuana. I mean, you can't walk through a city anymore without every city that I've been to, certainly over the last year, while we were filming What is a Woman? You know, uh, many things. It was a revelatory experience going through all these cities and talking to people. And part of it also was just the fact that uh, every single city everywhere just reeks of weed everywhere you go. Everyone's walking around high all the time. And uh, marijuana is the least of it, right? Along with all the other hard drugs. So that's happening. Not a lot's being done to curb it. In fact, not only are they not curbing it, but in many of these cities, again, they're actually facilitating the use of these drugs, but they're going after cigarettes and vaping because that makes a lot of sense. Speaking of things that make sense, the rugby league has uh, now banned males from competing against females in international competition. And 60 Minutes Australia did a story about this. And I want to play this story for you. And if you're only listening to the audio, you're not going to be able to fully appreciate this because you got to see the video. So go to YouTube or go to dailywire.com and watch the video too. Um, this is not supposed to be a parody. They interview Hannah Mouncey, who's a male who identifies as a woman, plays rugby, is now going to be excluded from a lot of these competitions, a lot of these uh, rugby matches. And you're supposed to watch this interview and think that Hannah Mouncey is the victim, and that it's absurd that he would be uh, excluded. But it's kind of hard to come to that conclusion just based on the visual. Let's watch. Do you accept the AFL's argument that you do have a size advantage over some of your opponents? I think the biggest issue is not necessarily that I'm too big or too strong now. It's more, okay, you're already big, you're already strong, whatever. 
But what if you were to get into that elite training environment and they were to build you up, put on an extra 15 kilos and you just push everyone aside? But physiologically, that's just not going to happen. The people who seem to have the biggest problem with this is male administrators, but the female competitors haven't raised their voices at all. Lisa Watson knows better than most what Hannah's going through. She's a doctor who specialises in transgender health issues and is also a transgender athlete. After two years of hormone replacement therapy, she says Hannah's body has no residual benefits from her time as a male. Prior to her transitioning, she had a V8 motor powering this big muscle frame. Now she's transitioned and her testosterone level has dropped and her muscle mass has decreased and her strength and uh, stamina has decreased. She's now got a little four-cylinder engine, so she's actually at a physical disadvantage. Dr Watson suspects there are other more sinister factors at play. I'm just wondering whether they did not want to have someone like Hannah representing their new league. Um, they wanted a presentable, beautiful female who could be the face of AFLW. A trans woman may not be what they desired. Okay, I had to actually take notes because there's so much nonsense here that we need to pick apart in that uh, less than two-minute clip there. Um, first of all, we'll start with the trans person, the, other, the older person, saying that, uh, well, female competitors, they're not complaining. Well, yes, they are complaining, first of all. Uh, they, they have complained in all of these sports. But then the other part of it is that um, it went if and when they do complain, they are shouted down and called bigots by people like you. So you've got a metaphorical gun to their head, and then you're saying, look at that, they're not complaining, while you point the gun right at their head, and you're muttering under your breath to them, you better not complain. You see, they're not complaining. I mean, if they do complain, we'll destroy their lives, of course, and, uh, and we'll just rip them to pieces but they're not complaining. No, it's it's even in spite of that, there are still women who are who are speaking out, and many more should, and hopefully will in the future. Also, we're told by the um, the reporter there that Hannah Mouncey has no residual benefits, and again, you have to see the visual to really appreciate this. And, you, and in fact, go, you can go to Google and just look up Hannah Mouncey. And to see the, the spectacle of this guy competing against women in rugby, it's ridiculous. It, like you would, you, another thing from the left where when you first see it, you think it must be a joke. This must be from, no, it's, this is real. Hannah Mouncey, in spite of all the, uh, uh, the hormones, presents, and everything else, Hannah Mouncey is six foot two. Hold on, I just had it up here. I want to get, I want to get, Hannah Mouncey's statistics. Okay. Six foot two, 220 pounds, no residual benefits in rugby against women. What's the average um, height and weight of a, of a, of a female? Um, five feet, four inches, and 170 pounds. Okay. Five feet four on average versus six foot two, 220 pounds versus 170 on average. No residual benefits. It's just, it's just total absurdity. They, they, the, the truth is right there in front of your face, as always, and they are, and you're looking right at it, and they are telling you, no, that doesn't exist. It's like you're, it's like you're, you're standing in front of a brick wall, okay? And Hannah Mousy is basically a brick wall compared to these, uh, to these women that he's competing against. But it's as though you're standing in front of a brick wall and actually banging your head against it, and they're sitting there telling you, oh, that brick wall doesn't exist. No, it doesn't. It's actually not there. And you're supposed to just accept that. Oh, okay. And then the other part of this, too, I mean, we could, we could talk about um, just how dishonest and disingenuous all this is. Women aren't complaining. Yeah, but when they do, you destroy them. 
no residual benefits. That's ridiculous. And we can talk about all those issues. But also, I don't want to gloss over just the um, how they sort of casually admit the ways that um, this gender, so-called gender transition destroys your body. So you have this other guy just casually admitting this. Oh, well, yeah, he's been on, uh, on all these drugs and everything, so he's a lot weaker. He's, just, he's not as powerful. Well, he's, he's, no, I, I assure you, his body's been destroyed by, by transition. And that's supposed to be a good thing. Now, I, I agree with that. I don't deny that. They are correct that when you get on the hormone drugs and everything else and you start the transition, you are destroying your body. And you are, whether you're a man or a woman, you are depriving yourself of many of the benefits of being a man or a woman. You're taking away a lot of the uh, inherent power that you would have in that identity as a male or a female. You're stripping all of that away, and in return, you're getting nothing. So a woman, as she transitions, uh, she takes away her female form, her breasts, her ability to conceive children. Um, all of that, her feminine beauty, all of that is out the window. And in replace, she gets nothing. She doesn't get the power and strength of a man. She doesn't even get the appearance of a man. Um, she doesn't get the biological capacities and abilities of, of, of a male. She gets none of that. So she's lost much of what makes her a woman, though she still is a woman. And she gets none of what makes a man a man, and she just ends up with nothing. So it's a bargain where you give up everything and you get nothing in return. Like a literal deal with the devil is what it is. And it's the same thing for a man. And they admit that like we're, like they're proud of it. Like it's a good thing. No, what, what you're describing, that's all the more reason why this doctor should not be doing this to people. And they get away with that. Like they can, most of the time they will admit or rather, they will, they will refuse to admit that gender transition destroys the body. The only time they'll admit it is in this context, when they're trying to defend the idea of males competing against females in sports. And then they'll freely admit it and say, oh, no, his body's completely ruined. I assure you, everything's fine. Absolutely grotesque. This is from uh, CNBC. It says Canada is banning the manufacture and import of single-use plastics by the end of the year. The government announced on Monday in a major effort to combat plastic waste and address climate change. The ban will cover items like checkout bags, cutlery, food service wear, and of course, straws. That's a big part of this. Um, Single-use plastics make up most of the plastic waste that we're told by CNBC. And so all of that... uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is going to be out the window. You're not going to have any more of that. And, uh, you know, you can, as far as as straws go, you can uh, just make do with the totally useless paper straws. You know, paper straws, which you're you're, you're taking paper and you're putting them in water or in some kind of liquid. And then what happens when paper makes contact with liquid? You know, it starts to fall apart, which is what happens with the paper straws. Now, think about this. A couple points here. First of all, the whole straw thing, the plastic straw thing, when did that start? That started a few years ago, right? We didn't hear anything about about plastic straws. Nobody was complaining about plastic straws. And then a few years ago, there was this big push to start banning plastic straws, and they banned them in California. They banned them in in various different uh, states in the United States, and now they're banning them in in Canada. Well, why did it start? I mean, why do we start caring all of a sudden about plastic straws, of all things? Uh, Well, That goes back to, and you could still see this statistic being bandied about. Um, A few years ago, if you remember, we started hearing all these reports about how um, Americans, I think it was just Americans, the the claim was, Americans use 500 million plastic straws a day. That was the, actually, let me clarify that. Let me look that up again to make sure I have the exact claim that that they made. Yeah, okay. 500 million plastic straws every day. That's the claim. And I'm looking right now at the National Park Service on their website, and they still have this claim up there. 500 million plastic straws every day. And uh, and that was the the jumping off point for this campaign to ban straws because 500 million plastic straws a day, 
that's uh, it's, it's astronomical. It's unbelievable, right? Um, they're talking about billions over the course of just not a few years. You're talking about I mean, you're talking about billions and trillions and trillions of straws. Well, here's the problem: that the 500 million straws a day was a statistic invented by a nine-year-old. A nine-year-old was doing some sort of project for school and came up with this idea that we use 500 million straws a day. And he, and he came to this by doing a, a brief phone survey of a few people. And then from there, the nine-year-old extrapolated that we use 500 million straws a day. And that claim, which again was invented by a nine-year-old, is still used now to justify banning plastic straws. The National Park Service has it front and center right on their website. This has already been debunked. It's like there was, the, we shouldn't need to debunk it. This is a nine-year-old. And I mean, all, all due respect to nine-year-olds. Uh, I have two, two nine-year-olds myself. But I'm not going to trust them with statistics. They're not very, you know, when it comes to, to, to statistics, they, uh, I think, lack some, uh, some perspective. And of course, we don't use 500 million straws a day. How could we possibly? That's like every American, every single American is using almost two straws every single day. Meanwhile, I, I think I've used like two straws in the last 10 years of my life. Who's using all these straws? But getting away from the straws for a second, because that's just totally invented. Pl plastic straws are not really a big problem. Uh, they've got, you, know, you look at all the waste and and garbage and everything in the pollution and the litter, plastic straws make up a very small amount of it. I mean, these days, you know, a lot of the littering and waste, a lot of that, those are the uh, disposable, non-biodegradable masks that they had everybody in for two years. Not a lot of concern from the environment with that. But with plastic in general, here, here's a, a fact that everybody should realize. Um, most of the plastic in the, the world's oceans comes from Asia and Africa, okay? In fact, when it comes to plastic pollution, when I say most, I'm almost kind of understating it. 95% of the problem stems to Asia and Africa. And there are like 10 rivers in Asia and Africa that account for almost all of this. Okay, countries like China, Indonesia, Vietnam, Thailand, um, the Philippines, and then countries in, uh, in Africa, too. Uh, they, they, they account for 95% of the problem. And it's not even just those continents. It's, it's like 10 rivers in those continents create this problem. And why is that? Well, because in some of these countries, they use their rivers like uh, garbage conveyor belts. And they just dump their trash and their waste and their human waste, too, and it, they, it funnels and flows right out into the ocean. That's 95% of the problem. And that means that all the rest of the world, we, have, we account for 5% of the plastic waste. You know, the United States, and our entire hemisphere accounts for less than 5% of the problem. And of that 5%, how, many of it, how much of it goes back to plastic straws? It's a lot less than 1%, I can tell you that. Now, does that mean that we should do nothing at all? Does that mean that we're completely off the hook? Does that mean that uh, we have a lot of ground to make up, so we might as well just start dumping stuff in our rivers, you know, because it's not going to make a difference? Should we be doing that? No, of course not. Uh, we shouldn't be littering. You should be, you know, you should be, uh, uh, you should be responsible with your own waste and your own garbage. I totally believe that. But if we're trying to make a dent, in the plastic pollution problem, especially as it affects our world's oceans, and it is a problem, if we're trying to make a dent in that problem and address it, then we cannot exclude 95% of the problem. And yet that's what we do. Because when's the last time you heard an environmentalist say anything about Asia and Africa and the way that they contribute to this, what they say is a crisis? When's the last time you heard them even mention it? Because, because, you know, in the United States, we could, from this point forward, create zero waste. If we could find a way, 
know, maybe take all of our pollution, all of our waste, all of our litter, and just uh, launch it directly into the sun. And that's all we do from now on. So we are not contributing to the problem at all. Even if we did that, that would have almost no effect whatsoever on the overall problem. So if you actually want to do something about it, then you got to get, get Asia and Africa on board. And we got to start talking about the fact that in a lot of those countries, on those continents, people are just dumping waste, just mounds of garbage, tons and tons of garbage every single day into the river, out to the ocean. But of course, we can't talk about that because that's racist. All right, one other thing here. Uh, Senator Cringe, Cory Booker, put together perhaps one of the, one of the cringiest videos uh, ever produced by a politician, and I thought that we would just watch it together. Here it is. running after each other and tackling each other. Really bad acting on display here. Guys, uh, reporters are calling. You're tackling each other in the Capitol? We've been through this before. You have to stop tackling each other. All right. Then we'll just tackle big ag consolidation. Well, look, big ag consolidation is killing rural America. We need to get to work and help the cow-calf guys and the feeders and the consumers taking it at the meat counter too. That's why we introduced a couple bills, Booker. We need to get these bills done. We're gonna get them done, man. I appreciate you, you're a good guy. Okay, oh my gosh. It was worse than I thought. All right, we can stop that. You can turn that off. You know, you, you can tell a lot about somebody from their sense of humor, I think, uh, because humor is one of the most uniquely human things, right? And uh, I think humor is also a really good test of IQ. I think you don't even need all the complicated IQ tests. You could just, uh, someone, just list for me what you think the five funniest movies of all time are or something. And I could already tell, I, I could get you, I can, I can peg your IQ within a five point range just based on that alone. And so what does that tell us about Cory Booker when we keep that in mind? Well, that he's very stupid and he's also barely human. Although I did appreciate this. So uh, Cory Booker's fans, who he has fans, uh, they loved this video. They thought it was very hilarious. And th- there was this one tweet from someone who said, this is the funniest video you'll ever see about antitrust legislation in the food and agriculture industries. And you know what? She's right. I mean, I'll give, I'll give them that at least. It is definitely the funniest video I've ever seen about antitrust legislation in the food and agricultural industry. So got to hand it to it at least for that. As we've already reviewed today on the show, gas prices are up and they're only going to go higher. And as far as the Biden administration is concerned, you are on your own. Uh, But luckily, there is uh, at least one company looking to help. It's called Upside. It's the Upside app. My listeners are earning cash back for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free Upside app in the App Store or Google Play right now. Use promo code Walsh for 25 cents per gallon or more on your first fill up cash back. It's as simple as that. Don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back using Upside. Just download the app for free and use promo code Walsh for 25 cents per gallon or more on your first tank. And it's not just for gas. You can can get uh, cash back at grocery stores, restaurants with takeout food as well. And you can cash out anytime to your bank account or an e-gift card for select retailers and brands. All upside, no downside. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code Walsh to get that 25 cents per gallon or more cash back on your first tank. Again, that's uh, code Walsh with the Upside app. Now let's get to our uh, comment section. If you're a man, it's required that you grow a beard. Hey, we're the sweet baby gang. Uh, Let's see, Noah, quoting me, the latest celebrity trend is to have a non-binary kid. It's so transparent. Even if he didn't mean for it to be, that was one of the best puns I've heard in a while. Uh, I did, I want to claim credit for that. Okay, I did, that was 100% intentional. Okay, that was a pun intended moment. And I was pretty proud of it. But then I thought it would be more effective if I don't stop and ask for acknowledgement with my transparent pun. But then after the fact, I thought, well, I don't know. I think I played that too cool and people are going to think I did it by accident. So now I'm circling back to say that yesterday I meant to do that with the pun. And now it's just, it, you don't even believe you think I'm taking credit for it after the fact. And it's just really pathetic. And it's certainly not funny anymore because I'm explaining it a day later, but still. 
Uh, Nate Soyboy says, I'll be glad when Matt finally comes out as trans because this self-hate is sad and exhausting to watch. Well, your username, at least, I think is uh, there's some accuracy there, Nate. So I appreciate that. Um, I always find this interesting from the left when they do this thing. You know, if you're talking about uh, gender, you're talking about LGBT, anything like that, they say, oh, you're only doing that because you're, a, you're really trans or you're actually gay. You're in the closet. Well, so are you, are you using those things as an insult? Maybe I am trans. Nate, what of it? What is, what's your point? You, you mean it as an insult then? That's, that's the really interesting thing. The only people anymore, really, who still use like trans and gay as an insult are actually, it's actually on the left. They use it as an insult all the time. They use it in a pejorative way about their opponents. You're only saying that because you're gay. You're trans. What exactly, Ned, are you trying to imply? Are you saying it's a bad thing to identify that way? You know what? Yes, I am trans. Fine. I'll, I'll go ahead. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actually trans, which means that you can no longer criticize me. And uh, I have the, you know, moral authority to talk about these issues. We already know that I'm an LGBT, best-selling LGBT children's author. I don't think I need to remind you of that. So I've got all the points. Uh, Mike says, Matt, your Airbnb rant makes you sound like someone who uh, still takes a cab instead of Uber. Now, it's, that's... Uh, that's, that's an entirely different thing, okay? So Airbnb versus hotels, and then you've got Uber versus cab. So the, the cab experience is certainly um, uh, worse than the Uber experience. And, and the Uber experience is often not that great. But the cab industry somehow, and you, could, you, you almost have to respect it, they just have refused to update, improve anything at all I mean, you still get in the cab. The cabs themselves look like they're still from the 90s, and it still just reeks of BO. And whereas in, in Ubers, it's only like 50% of the time do they reek of BO. And just the whole experience is pretty miserable and awful, and the cab is dirty and everything. They're not making any attempt at all to compete with Uber. They're just good. They are sticking by their guns. You have to respect it. But, um, but it is certainly a worse experience. But just because something is newer and has more technology behind it, it doesn't automatically make it better. Because then you go to Airbnb versus hotels, and Airbnb is the newer thing, but the hotel experience is, on average, way better, I would say. Um, A. McMahon says, I cannot believe the pure cowardice of this police officer who is giving orders. The men under his command should have ignored him, their jobs notwithstanding. Well, it's a tale as old as time, right? People using the uh, I'm just following orders excuse, and we find it here again. Athena says, joining the Navy is my dream after high school, but after hearing that this is starting to happen, I'm starting to become unsure. Yeah, I hear this from a lot of a lot of younger people who are thinking about joining the military and now aren't sure about it. I hear from a lot of parents who um, maybe would have loved the idea of their sons joining the military and, and now aren't sure. That's how I feel about it. You know, I don't even like to... It feels bad to even say it out loud, but uh, but the truth is that, no, I don't want my sons to join the military as it stands right now because for a number of reasons, and but one of them is that now they're giving their lives over to this and they're sacrificing their, you know, their liberty, their, their ability to, you can't just leave because you feel like it. And so that means that they're going to be totally vulnerable to all this stuff, all the woke indoctrination and everything. Uh, they're signing up for that. And you, they don't have the ability to simply just leave. And then you add on to that, the people that we often have running the country are going to take, you know, love to go on these adventures overseas and send them off to fight wars that we have nothing to do with. So, um, yeah, at this point, that's just the sad reality. Let's see. Uh, Dan says... The cowardice is mostly the result of the climate the police have to work under. The inhibitions and hesitancy are being ingrained in an attempt to curtail abuse. Unsolvable situation, in my opinion, accepting, except adopting self-defense culture and incorporate um, knowledge and training in every possible way. Yeah, there's a lot that goes into it uh, with, with this, you know, what's, what's happening with, with police and what happened in, in Uvalde. Um, and I hear a lot about the climate that police have to work with and work in. And I have a lot of sympathy for that. 
But that sympathy, of course, dries up when you try to use that as, as an excuse to sit safely in the hallway while, while 19 children are executed. Because nothing can excuse that. And the anti-police climate and culture certainly doesn't excuse that. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Now you're creating more of that. You're making that climate and that culture even worse through your own actions. Um, but overall, we live in a, in, it's not just with police, but in general, we, we live in a culture that um, encourages cowardice and selfishness. You know, C.S. Lewis wrote about this. Um, we make men without chests and expect of them virtue and sacrifice. And that's what we're doing in our culture now. We breed cowardice and self-centeredness, narcissism on purpose. And then we're shocked when we see, as Lewis wrote, cowards in our midst. Um, and April says, it's a mixed bag either way, Airbnb or hotels. Ask someone working at a hotel how clean everything is. Doubt you like the answer, Matt. No, I'm not going to ask that. That is a question I will not ask, and I don't want to know, because ignorance is bliss, April. Well, the Sweet Baby Gang has proven yet again that its financial loyalty knows no bounds. The Virtue Signal patch sold out again yesterday. There are a lot of virtuous people out there, because, uh, and you know, I'm one of them. Because my generosity knows no bounds, we are going to be restocking the patch to give you another opportunity to seize the moral high ground. Head over to my swag shack at dailywire.com shop to claim your Virtue Signal patch and the indulgent sense of self-satisfaction that comes with it today. Also, June has been a massive month over here at The Daily Wire with tons of new content being released. And if you haven't seen it all yet, go to dailywire.com to watch our new summer blockbuster, Terror on the Prairie, starring MMA fighter turned actress Gina Carano. Canceled by Disney, then uncanceled by us. This woman is absolutely unstoppable on camera and off. And we're not the only ones who feel that way. Yesterday in an op-ed for the Daily Mail, Meghan McCain praised Gina for her fearlessness in defying the corporate Hollywood snake and joining us in our fight to take back the culture. In the article, Megan writes, quote, The Daily Wire have created a new avenue for artists that has the potential and audience backing to allow them to create on their own terms to Gina. That's the future. Well, it's the future for us, too, which is why The Daily Wire is in high gear on every front with fearless documentaries like What is a Woman? Exposing the distorted gender ideas, poisoning our kids' minds. It's also a series like Debunked that arm you with all the facts you need to counter common leftist claims. All of this is yours when you become a member at The Daily Wire. Just go to dailywire.com slash Walsh. Use code Walsh for 25% off your new membership right now. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Today, it's my great pleasure to cancel, maybe not for the first time, the TSA. Um, as you know, the so-called Transportation Security Administration was invented in 2001 by George W. Bush. He responded to 9-11 by creating dozens of useless government agencies and launching two wars on the other side of the world. 9-11 um, was itself, in large part, a failure of government. 19 guys from, middle, from the Middle East slowly but surely worked on their plan to stage the worst attack on American soil in our history. They planned and trained for it in our own country, and none of our intelligence or law enforcement agencies did a thing to stop it. And they all knew that some kind of big attack was coming. But there was no competent or organized effort to figure out what it would be or to prevent it. The attack was entirely preventable by the agencies that already existed and through the security processes that were already in place. But all of them failed. And they failed spectacularly. They failed in every possible way. And as punishment for the government's failure, um, it only grew larger. Gave itself more money. Granted itself more power. If a dozen government agencies failed to stop 9-11, the thinking went, well, let's just form a dozen more while doing absolutely nothing at all to fix the problems in the first dozen. And if, if the security screenings we already had in place didn't work, let's just make the security process more complicated and extravagant and inconvenient while doing absolutely nothing at all to address the reasons for its failure in the first place. This is the way the government operates. And that is why the TSA was created. The agency now has some 47,000 employees stretched out across all 50 states. In the latest federal budget, it was awarded $10 billion. And this is a $1.4 billion increase over the previous year. Overall, over the past 20 years, the TSA has used up about $140 billion of taxpayer money. And that's to say nothing of all the many billions of hours of lost productivity the TSA has eaten up while we're all standing around in line doing the security theater hokey pokey while being sexually molested by overweight rent-a-cops. But look on the bright side. 
This whole charade might be grotesquely wasteful and pointless and gratuitous, and it might be a blatant infringement on your constitutional rights for agents of the state to treat you like a suspected terrorist just because you want to board an airplane, but at least they're keeping us safe. That is, they're keeping us safe from liquids, gels, and aerosols, which is essentially all the TSA actually does now. They build giant collections of confiscated lotion, bottled water, and tubes of toothpaste. They can't explain why they're confiscating these items. They can't tell you exactly what risk is posed by a can of deodorant that exceeds the arbitrary cutoff of 3.4 ounces. But whatever the threat is, we're being saved from it. And the TSA, they're quite proud of this. Yesterday, Lisa Farbstein, who is the uh, TSA spokeswoman and somehow has the perfect name for a TSA spokeswoman, gleefully bragged on Twitter about all of the oversized gels and lotions the TSA had confiscated at just one airport in Syracuse over a three-day span. Here's her tweet. She said, along with a picture of their, um, of their winnings, display of oversized liquids, gels, and aerosols that travelers had in their carry-on bags at the Syracuse airport, TSA checkpoint, in a three-day span. The limit for liquids through a checkpoint is 3.4 ounces. Now, as you can see there, our protectors of the TSA heroically saved us from countless bottles of Deer Park water, several containers of Vaseline, um, a collection of toothpaste tubes, four or five snow globes somehow, and even one jar of chunky peanut butter. That last one may have been a terrorist planning a mass attack against people with peanut allergies. You never know. And hopefully the peanut butter bandit was detained by the TSA and then shipped down to Gitmo for interrogation. We can only hope. All in all, I think we can agree that this haul is uh, certainly worth $140 billion. Now, I said before that nobody can explain why these items aren't allowed through security. It's true that nobody at the TSA can explain it. But there is a reason, ostensibly. The real reason why we spend billions of dollars and billions of hours collecting and throwing away bottles of water and jars of Vaseline is that in 2006, a suspected terrorist in Britain named Abdullah Ahmed Ali was caught on surveillance, surveillance cameras drilling a hole into a bottle of water, which he potentially intended to fill with explosive liquid and then potentially wanted to detonate on a plane. And he was arrested before the plan could be taken into action, um, and uh, so nothing actually happened. But that's the reason why you can't take your Dasani through security. It's because one suspected terrorist in another country 15 years ago drilled a hole into a water bottle. Same thing with shoes, by the way. Like one guy, years and years ago, um, got onto a plane with a, a bomb in his shoe, and it didn't detonate, and so everyone has to take their shoes off now forever. By the way, the TSA screening, the security screening, failed in that case. No, they didn't even stop it. Now, of course, if somebody did have an explosive bottle of Aquafina or an explosive shoe and they wanted to kill a bunch of people with it, they could still walk into any crowded area and accomplish that task. In fact, they could walk right into the crowd, crowded line at security and do it. Because we're conveniently for the terrorists, we're bunching everyone together in this one chokehold, choke, choke just this one uh, you know, choke point, rather. And it is kind of a chokehold sometimes. We're putting everybody there and creating a perfect opportunity for terrorists if they wanted to take advantage of it. But we're, we're spending $140 billion to make sure that they at least can't do it on planes. Well, actually, they can still do it on planes because as an investigation in 2017 revealed, and investigations before that and after that have had the same result, TSA screenings have a failure rate of over 50%. 47,000 employees, tens of billions of dollars spent, and still, these glorified mall cops fail more than half of their inspections. And this leads to another question. How many terrorist attacks has the TSA actually prevented? Yes, they're wasting extraordinary amounts of time and money. Yes, they're giving you, uh, they got you playing Simon Says while they bark orders at you. And they have you strip off random items of clothing for no reason. Uh, yes, this is all humiliating and seemingly pointless and intrusive. But perhaps it's worth it if they're actually preventing terrorist attacks. Who knows how many people are alive today because of the efforts of the TSA, however half-assed those efforts might be. Well, we do know, actually. We know that the TSA has prevented precisely zero terror attacks. Zero. Over 20 years in, and there is no evidence that the TSA has ever stopped even one terror attack from taking place. They have not caught one terrorist in 20 years. Not one. 700 million people board flights in America each year. 
That's $14 billion over the past 20 years. The TSA has therefore screened 14 billion people. Not one of them was a terrorist. O for 14 billion. So to review, the TSA is bad at its job, wasteful, incompetent. There's no evidence that it has ever accomplished the one single thing it was formed in order to accomplish. And for all that, it got a $1.4 billion raise this year. It's quite infuriating when you think about it. But hey, at least they got that jar of crunchy peanut butter before somebody really got hurt. And that guy should be eating creamy peanut butter anyway. What kind of freak eats crunchy peanut butter? Still, we must say, the TSA and crunchy peanut butter are both canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, production manager Pavel Vodowski. Our associate producer is McKenna Waters. The show is edited by Robbie Dantzler. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. And hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. Hey there, this is John Bickley, Daily Wire editor-in-chief and co-host of Morning Wire. On today's episode, the Senate reaches a deal on gun control, consumers face even higher prices on homes, cars, and food, and the Supreme Court defends using vouchers for religious schools. Join us and get the facts first on the news you need to know with our show, Morning Wire.